This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on the text of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. It's preached on Litare, that is the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal, reading from a translation published by S.A. Schulze Publisher in Columbus, Ohio, 1884, a text that is in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them should take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Luther's Sermon. This is one of the Gospels in which our Lord teaches his Christians to trust in him, since he will not permit them to die of hunger, but will, by his blessing, give them a sufficiency of everything they need. Hence those pernicious souls who are ever intent upon their own interest are not worthy to hear nor heed this glorious lesson of our text. They hear how Christ by his blessing, perform this great miracle, but they care not to have the same experience. They are therefore greedy, and act as if Christ could not or would not perform a similar miracle for them. So they must provide for themselves, else they might be entirely overlooked and forgotten. Christ has nothing to do with such people. The others, however, who faithfully confide in his word, are here assured, not merely in words, but in deed, that he will provide for them their daily food. Hence we ought not to doubt, nor be disturbed by the thought as to how we shall support ourselves, but we should place our whole trust and confidence in Christ. Such faith will not deceive us. Our Lord will be present with his blessing, so that the five loaves, if there are no more, will be sufficient to satisfy five thousand men besides the women and children, yes, that the remainder will be more than the first supply." At first, before they eat, there was scarcely half a basket full of bread. Afterward, there were twelve baskets full of fragments. We learn this important lesson from this occurrence, that we should love God 
and diligently hear and believe his word, as these people in our text did, that then God will provide us with our daily bread. It may be that not all of the people then fed were truly pious, but since there were those among them who feared God with all their heart and cared more about hearing his gospel than about eating, the Lord provided also for their bodily wants and gave them food before they expected it. By this deed he intended to tell them that man should seek first the kingdom of God, hear his word, and believe in him, but also that each one should do with diligence what his calling bids him do, and that as to the rest he would provide. Though we are not rich and cannot count our dollars by the thousands, we shall have what we need. We cannot eat money, nor gold and silver, neither stones and the like. We must have bread, the produce of the ground. If we are so situated that we cannot thus gather the food from the fields, if we have neither house nor garner, neither farm nor garden, we will nevertheless obtain enough bread if we have but faith and trust in God. Such providential care is witnessed every day. Of a penniless scholar who is diligent and pious, God often makes, makes a great doctor. To a poor maidservant who fears God and is faithful in the performance of her duties, he gives a good husband and home. Similar examples of daily occurrence teach us how God assists the poor while they who do not fear him nor love his word are otherwise dishonest and indolent, remain miserable beggars and thriftless all the days of their life. Thus will God also permit an unruly boy who hates to go to school and is wicked and dishonest to go on in his vicious course to become a hireling in some army where he's stabbed to death or killed in some way or to become a disreputable character. And the maid who is not pious nor virtuous, who is dishonest and lazy, will surely fall into sin and shame, so that she will be disgraced for her whole life. Such an end is well merited. If such persons would live uprightly in the faith of Christ, he would be their protector and friend, and raise them to honor and wealth. This gospel plainly teaches us to trust in Christ, convinced that he will preserve us and give us what we need, if we but believe his word, and love to hear it, though this may cause us some inconvenience, as it did at first the people in our text. The deed which Christ here performs is as good as a sermon. He exhorts us thereby to be faithful and pious and to love his word, and teaches us that then he will be with us to give us food and raiment and make something of us in the world, while on the other hand, if we are faithless and disregard his word, we will remain beggars, and that deservedly, even if we are rich our opulence cannot make us happy. We will be still the devil's own. It remains a fixed fact that God will not grant the desires of those who are faithless and disregard his word. This lesson we learn from our gospel, where Christ with five loaves of bread satisfies the hunger of 5,000 men together with their women and children, who numbered perhaps 5,000 more, so that they all had enough with plenty of fragments remaining. Christ says, Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here he preaches the same truth, but by his deed, not in words alone. He says by this miracle, I am rich and can easily satisfy your wants. Be pious and look to me for help. I can and will provide for you. Thus, much in regard to faith as connected with the miracle of the gospel today. The evangelist narrates two other items for our instruction and comfort. The first contains the question of Christ to the disciples and their response. The other, his command to gather up the fragments that nothing might be lost. 
Philip and Andrew are examples set before us to show that true faith is so often wanting, although the Lord, through his wonderful blessings, invites us to exercise our confidence in him. We all make the same mistake when the disciple, which the disciples made, that is, we look but to our wants and calculate how much we need. That Christ, with his blessing, can give us everything we are apt to forget. Philip counts rapidly and correctly. He says, 200 penny worth of bread is needed if everyone in the crowd is to have but a little. If this sum is compared with the 5,000 men beside the women and children of whom there were also many, as Matthew relates, it was insignificant indeed, and each one would have obtained but a slice of bread. Surely not much for a hungry stomach. We see that Philip made a close and correct estimate of the amount of bread needed for these hungry people in the desert. We indulge in similar calculations of what we need to support our families for a month or for a whole year, and if we discover that the supply is not at hand, we are dejected and sad, as though we had to leave our house and home or even die of hunger. Andrew entertains similar thoughts. He observes that Christ desired to provide for the poor people who were suffering with hunger and makes the announcement that there was a limited supply of food at hand, five loaves and two fishes. But when he considered the great multitude, the many hungry mouths and stomachs, his hope failed him, so that he exclaims, But what are they among so many? His arithmetic proves self stronger than his faith. He despairs of all the relief of the multitude. This is the great and common mistake of which we men are always guilty. We understand very well how to reckon and calculate in regard to our wants. We know that we need counsel and assistance in the difficulties of this life. But if we do not see immediately the desired supply and help, we are sad and disturbed in mind. It would be far better if we would not calculate at all in these matters, leaving them in the hands of God. Then want and privation and cares, which we cannot avert with all our anxiety, would not trouble us before they really come. Now we often busy and torment ourselves with plans and calculations which are all in vain, for we can never make ourselves rich by our own thoughts and cares. But it may easily happen that these excessive cares and meditations in behalf of our worldly fortunes will bring upon us disease and insanity as we learn from many examples. Since our natural reason will but look to our wants and can only calculate concerning them in direct opposition to faith, the evangelist would here, by the example of the disciples, show us that such anxious calculations are entirely unnecessary if we are Christians and have Christ with us. Philip and Andrew reckoned correctly according to their understanding of the circumstances, but we as Christians have not only our reason but also the word of God. Therefore, it behooves us at all times to exercise our faith, and whenever our calculations prove unsatisfactory, we should not be perplexed, but faithfully place our whole confidence in the word. The Christian should realize what a trustworthy father and provider his Lord is, Men, even when most liberal, can only give as long as they themselves have something. But here is it, it is said of Christ, He distributed of the loaves and of the fishes as much as they desire, not as much as was on hand. And what He did there, He can and will still do for His Christians. This we must never forget. His blessings we experience every day. He gives to the pious, poor, and needy their daily bread and assists them in every trouble and in wonderful and unexpected ways. He is omnipotent and has promised us his help and salvation. The chief thing necessary, then, whenever our human calculations fail, is earnest faith and prayer. We should be comforted by the knowledge that we have a God 
who can not only multiply by his blessing the provisions which we have, as he did for the widow of Seraphath, but who can also make something from nothing. This consolation ought to never escape our memory, so that we do as Christ says, Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and leave the rest to our Father in heaven, who careth for his people even while they sleep. That is, they shall receive blessings without knowing when or how they come, as it were when the miracle was performed. For the bread and fishes visibly increased and multiplied in the hands of Christ when he broke one loaf into two parts, giving one away, and the other one was as large as before. Christ desires us to have this deed clearly before our eyes, in order that we may learn from it to trust in him, and to give up this reckoning with human figures merely, and this dependence upon the supply which we can see or touch. We see in our days how much misery there is everywhere in the world, The infidels increase in strength and are ready to give us battle. We, on the other hand, are decreasing in power and on account of our dissensions and lack confidence in each other. The Pope also is not at rest, but is hostile to the gospel, as are the infidels. He and his followers do not yet detest from their base warfare to suppress the truth and to reinstate their former idolatries. When we observe this state of affairs, it may happen that we are offended. Our reason begins to calculate and to find ways and means by which these matters might be changed and amended. If these means are not readily at hand, if the reckonings result in great deficit, the heart becomes sad and almost despairs because it seems as though everything were going awry. Since such tribulations are sure to come, because our flesh and blood is prone to bring them on, we should, as Christians, know that though our reckoning furnishes no hope, we have yet the word with its assurances and in that we should ever trust. What says the word, and what shall we believe in such distress? This we must believe. Christ has conquered the world, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, Matthew 16. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, Psalm 33. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, 1 Peter 3. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, 2 Peter 2. Peter still further exhibits this truth by the example of the pious lot. Whoever accepts the word of God and his promises, relying upon them entirely, will not be distressed nor fearful if his reckonings fall far short of his expectations. He knows that he has a Lord who rules in the midst of his enemies and who is ready to manifest the glory and power of his name wherever his adversary, the adversaries of his kingdom disturb his Christians, yea, that he will crush all his enemies as he did Pharaoh and the Egyptian hosts. Thus, through faith in the word and by means of it, hope is produced where everything would seem dark and gloomy and where our reason would despair. The word of God points to a certain happy issue from all troubles if we but firmly cling to it and devoutly pray to God. The wicked, however, who continue in their lawless course can find no consolation in these promises of God with which the pious are comforted. The disciples made a great mistake when they counted merely with figures and forgot to have faith and confidence in Christ their Lord. Philip should have said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not enough, even if each one present would take but the smallest morsel. But fortunately thou, our blessed Lord, art with us, 
and by thy help we shall have plenty of bread, though we have no money and are in the desert. Thou hast unlimited power. Andrew should also have said, There is a lad here with five barley loaves and two fishes, which would not suffice for even ten of the hungry ones if I had to distribute these provisions. But if thy hands will deal them out, they will be so multiplied that we shall have enough and plenty of fragments besides. Such assurance and faith they ought to have had from a knowledge of the word. But though their minute calculations, they displaced this knowledge, and we see how little confidence in the power of Christ they manifest on this occasion. From this it follows that if we desire to act as Christians and to avoid this faithless reckoning and calculations as to our present and future wants, we must take the word of God in hand and believe it, else there is no remedy for us. When Christ has bestowed upon us his merciful gifts, we must also bear in mind that other, that other lesson which he teaches the apostles on this occasion. Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Just as our natural man, in times of suffering and want, can only reckon and not believe, so that when, God's, when by God's blessing seasons of plenty come, we are entirely unfit to use these gifts aright. Many abuse these abundant blessings of God, as we can see wherever we turn our eyes. If the year is fertile with food and wine, people begin to think that they may now eat and drink and waste the provisions given to their heart's content. But this would be wrong. We should diligently gather in the harvest which God has granted us and use it properly, also laying aside what may remain for future necessity. Joseph instructed the king of Egypt in this economy in order, and ordered him so to use what the seven fat years yielded that he would have food for himself and the people during the seven years of famine. Thus also the tradesman and the mechanic should do. If God gives them a successful and profitable year, they should husband well such blessings. They ought never to think that now they may use and spend much more than formerly. No, the gifts of God must at all times be considered as of the greatest value and should be kept for future emergency. No doubt God is often prompted by our great ingratitude and inconsiderate wastefulness and sin and sinful abuse of his bounties to send two or three years of sterility and failure to one year of fertility and success. How else could he put such a restraint upon the criminal abuse of his gifts by the wicked and reckless world? Others again abuse the bounties of God in a different way. They lay aside and store away when the years are fertile and the markets low, in order that they may gain large profits during the years of scarcity by oppressing the poor and ruling the market prices as they choose. Such fellows are detestable oppressors, nor need they expect any mercy of God unless they repent in time. Such dealings arouse the wrath of God. When the Lord orders the remaining fragments to be gathered up, he is not parsimonious, but teaches us how to value his blessings and to be prepared in time of necessity to assist the poor. This we can do so much the easier if we are not wasteful. A far different thing would it be if we brought up at the lowest prices wheat, corn, wine, and the like, storing away great quantities until the time become pressing and the provisions scarce, so that we might then sell it at the highest rate, thereby oppressing others, especially the poor. This would be a criminal and filthy practice. God does not send a prosperous year that we alone should enjoy it at the expense of other people, or that we should pamper our greedy avarice. God will surely punish such transactions. The man who trusts in God and his word will always have enough. Even in times of the greatest scarcity, God will bless him the little that he has so that it will become much, 
even to the leaving of fragments. On the other hand, he who abuses the gift of God by being mean and niggardly will not enjoy the blessings of God, though he toils and scrapes from morning till night. His wealth will be of no benefit, and in the midst of plenty he will be unhappier than the most destitute beggar. It is a well-known fact that misers and usurers are poor, miserable, and unhappy people. They toil and sweat until they have collected their treasure, and then they toil and sweat still more to take care of it and to increase it. If an accident befalls them, as it often will, if the grain molds in the field, if the wine runs into the cellar, or if any other misfortune happens, they weary themselves nearly to death with anxiety and lamentation so that they cannot enjoy what they possess. Misfortune, care, toil, and disease is their reward. Who would not a thousand times rather have but a little and enjoy it in peace with a happy heart, especially if we remember how the devil is closely watching these stingy souls to make them insane and crazy when they suffer losses in their money and goods until finally, in their misery, they go on and hang themselves or commit suicide in some other way while God richly provides for the poor. Then follows a misery much more terrible than that which they would escape on earth, eternal damnation. This is the result if man abuses the gifts of God and with them feeds his avarice. Nor ought they to be carelessly wasted, but they should be properly used and taken care of, so that in time of want we may be able to assist others who have less than we. God does not give to this or to that person more than to another that he should abuse the abundance and luxury and pleasures, but that he should use it right gladly to support and assist the poor and the needy. To trust in Christ our Lord, and under all circumstances to believe his word, and to wait for blessings from him, is the pleasing and comfortable lesson taught us in our gospel. God grant that we may grow in faith from day to day, so that we may in our own life experience his blessings. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the gospel text for Litare, John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, reading for the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org.